everybody. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Spring Creek Quail Farms, whose mission it is to make nutritious and delicious egg options available to all. You can find more about them at their website, www.springcreekquail.ca. A big thanks to them for sponsoring the show and making this conversation possible. Now, without further ado, on to Real Talk. Hey everybody, welcome to Real Talk. Uh, we're excited to be back, giving you another episode. Today we are talking with Reverend Jim Woodaveen. Um, so, I mean, I know a little bit about Reverend Woodaveen, but he's got his own podcast, he's got his own thoughts. We're going to be talking a lot about, uh, well, a lot about a lot of things, but for sure propaganda, media, uh, big tech could come into play. And um, we'll go from there because he's he covers a lot of different topics on his podcast, which is called Dan1132, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, without further ado, thank you for being here, Reverend Woodby. Well, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's really nice to be on with you guys and uh, and to yeah, to be able to speak about a lot of the topics that I've already covered on, on my podcast and things that I, I hope to speak more about in the future. So uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Could, could you give us a quick intro on um, who you are, what you're doing, where you're at right now? And um, sure. And then we'll go into what the podcast is doing and, and from there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was um, I was ordained uh, to the ministry in 2007, so it's uh, it's been uh, just uh, well, just about 15 years that I've been in the ministry. And uh, the first uh, the first half of my ministry, basically, I spent as a church planter here in Canada, uh, working in northern BC in Prince George. And in recent years, I've been working as a missionary in Brazil. Now, this has become a little bit more complicated uh, because of the uh, current situation. And uh, I'm currently working from right where I'm sitting, which is in Abbotsford. So um, I'm, I'm used to spending a lot of time on the uh, uh, using the Internet for uh, for teaching. We just started our our uh, first period of the new year at the John Calvin Institute in Brazil. So I started teaching yesterday. And uh, that's been going well. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting back to Brazil, the Lord willing. But for now, I'm working from here. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's my ministry. i am uh, been married for 21 years. Uh, yeah, 21. I have to ask your wife that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. And, uh, and we have six kids. Wow. So we have uh, we have one biological son. We have two adopted boys. And we have three long-term foster children. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. So how did you come uh, to start your podcast? What, what motivated you to do that? And and maybe you could tell people about the title of it too. And what's it all about? Yeah. I, I, uh, I started the podcast almost a year ago. So actually earlier this afternoon, I just recorded my 39th episode. Uh, so I started in February of last year. And one of the things that, that led me to starting the podcast was uh, the the current situation and the political situation and the the situation with um, all of our interactions with the government and mass movements and the things that we're going to talk about in this in this episode about uh, propaganda and uh, basically historical currents that have led us to where we are now. Mm. And I was uh, I was reading a book called The Mission of God by Joe Boot, who you also had on the program. Yep. Uh, and at that point, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm here, I'm working from Canada, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work on online. Anyways, I think it would be a good idea to start a podcast. 
And so I started the podcast. Uh, and uh, right now I've reached just recently reached uh, 10,000 views and listens on the podcast. So wow. uh, very happy with that. I'm always uh, uh, wanting to raise listenership, of course, because the idea is to reach as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. But uh, covering things like current social, political, uh, religious movements, uh, a lot of historical studies, um, just thinking about and speaking about the, the direction that our society has been going in for the past uh, let's say 150 years and where, where a lot of these movements have their roots and where it seems like we're going. Mm. So uh, another pastor that I was speaking to at that time, he said, uh, one of the things that we need to do as pastors is we need to exegete our culture. Yes. So mm -hmm. we, we learned a lot about exegesis in seminary. So we have to we have to exegete the scriptures in order to preach the scriptures. But we need to also exegete the culture. So we need to understand it. We need to understand where people are coming from. What are the roots of these movements? What are the ideologies that go into them? Mm. And that's not just as pastors. I think it's particularly important for pastors to do that, for us not to be in an ivory tower, to, you know, just be here, you know, in our study uh with with our uh, commentaries and and working on you know exegeting the scripture but to know what's going on in the world yeah. and to to understand you know where people are coming from so that's that was really you know one of the first points i was thinking of was exegeting the culture hmm. and that's for all of us as christians we need to we need to do that we need to understand the culture that we're immersed in but that we're different from so you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Yep. Uh, but so often we're so immersed in it that we don't see why things are happening or, or what's happening. And we get influenced by it. Right. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I heard an expression, it rains in the world and it drips in the church. Yep. So those those kind of things just naturally uh, seep in to our thinking. So that's really, you know, the, the main thing, exegeting the culture. And then the other really starting point that I have is thinking about the movement of the Re Protestant Reformation. And what was one of the, one of the central tenets of the, Pro uh, of the Protestant Reformation was the encouragement of literacy among the masses, teaching people how to read. Mm. So, for, so that individual believers could read their Bible, so that they could read books, so that they could read the confession, so that they could understand. And so that literacy aspect is so important for, for all of us. And I think in the 21st century, one of the things that we really need is uh, cultural literacy yeah. and an understanding of the culture, an understanding of what's going on, being literate, understanding the, the, the movements and, uh, and being able to interpret them. Mm -hmm. So that's really my, my goal with the podcast. And the, and the podcast is called Dan 11 verse 32 or Dan 1132. Uh, so if you, if you do a search uh, for the audio podcast on Apple podcasts or whatever, it's Dan 11 colon 32. It's a good name. And then, it's the only one named uh, that for sure. Yeah. We were, yeah. we were dumb. We picked real talk and there's way too many of us. Yeah. <laughs> I like real talk too. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's good. Uh, but, uh, and then on rumble, there's also a rumble channel for the video version. 
which is also called Dan 1132. And so the, the reason why I chose that, that, uh, that title was at, at the time I was writing a series and preaching a series of sermons on the book of Daniel. And I reached Daniel chapter 11 and I, I saw verse 32 and, and the second part of verse 32, especially struck me. It says the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. And so really the, the motto of the show is stand firm and take action. And, and that's what we all need to do is, as God's people. Uh, we can't just you know, wait in the wings. We can't just sit off to the side. We need to stand firm and take action. That's that involves uh, like a, like a military stance in a battle ready for the attack, ready for the onslaught and also uh, an offensive action, which is taking action. Yeah. That's that, that's the reasoning behind the name. And that's, you know, that's, that's really what I hope to do is, is equip God's people to do that. Good. Like yeah. That. Well, and then to be, yeah, to stand firm and to be ready for what uh, your opponents are bringing towards you. Uh, of course you need to be literate. You need to yeah, execute your culture, understand what's going on. And, um, and a big topic you've tackled, you've spent a couple episodes on this, has been the issue of propaganda. Now, yeah. I think that we see this often in the culture from, from various places as well. It's not always just one side or, or one spot where you see propaganda uh, at play. Can you, well, let's talk about it, but maybe first, before we really get into it, let's just start with the definition. What is propaganda? All right. Well, I uh, actually, before... I, uh, before we started, I, I grabbed a few books out of my collection. Uh, this one's called Propaganda, uh, and it's by Edward Bernays, who's, uh, he was known as the, the father of public relations in the United States. Mm. Uh, and in the introduction to this book, there's the dictionary definition of propaganda, which is any association, systematic scheme, or concerted movement for the propagation of a particular doctrine or practice. Okay, so so basically a, a concerted effort that's being made to put forward a certain idea or uh, a certain uh, action or group of actions that the propagandist wants the people who receive the propaganda mm -hmm. to uh, to fulfill, to do. Yeah. So that's okay. that's right. basically the dictionary definition of propaganda, which is it's a neutral definition. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? When we think. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you think it, it can be um, like we think of the term very negatively. So, I mean, maybe we could frame that a little bit, too. And that especially in that book, he talks a little bit more of it as a neutral term. But we can also even think about in that definition, like the church is kind of a propaganda organization to, you know, well, to push a view, yeah. right? Um, but and, we don't and, we don't use the word like that, you know, as such anymore. Right. So. Right. Because it's become a pejorative term. It's become a negative term that, that people think of propaganda. And that that really comes out of the Second World War or right. the First World War and the Second World War, really, where propaganda, people began to see and understand propaganda in a very negative light. Mm -hmm. So a guy like Edward Bernays, who was, who was uh, hugely influential in advertising in, in the United States, uh, he would continue to use the word propaganda and he continued to say, what we're doing is propaganda. And the history of the word is actually, it comes out of the Roman Catholic church as well mm. as uh, propaganda, um, putting forth a certain view and, and spreading that view to the masses. Right. Really. But with, with the, the use of propaganda, in the first and second world war specifically by the axis powers by the nazis in germany by the fascists in italy 
um, let alone the the uh, the propaganda uh, by the allies, yep. which is not thought of or spoken of so much. Uh, that negative view of propaganda really tarred the term with that negative negative brush, and that's really what we think of as propaganda now. Anyone or any group that's trying to influence the masses by using a specific message and certain techniques in order to win the masses over. Right. We see a lot of talk about misinformation in today's culture. Like a lot of like social media companies and whatnot are cracking down on misinformation. Do you think those terms are synonymous, misinformation and propaganda? Or do you think that uh, big tech is using their own style or their own weapons, I suppose, of propaganda to push whatever narrative they're pushing and squash uh, a different narrative of propaganda that they don't want on their platforms. I think I think when we think about misinformation, well, we've we've all heard about fake news, right? Yeah. Fake news is the <laughs> fake news is the big news. Uh, I, I think we need to make a distinction between misinformation and propaganda. Because propaganda isn't necessarily misinformation. Hmm. It's not necessarily uh, something that can be defined as a lie, right? Whereas with misinformation, I think many of us have, have fallen into the trap. We've, we've received something on social media, uh, a meme or a quotation or uh, what, what, what have you, or a news, even a news story, and forwarded it on without checking into the sources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, get embarrassed to find out that what we actually shared was uh, a false piece of news or yeah. a falsely attributed quotation. So we need to be very, very careful with that. And that happens all the time. That yeah. kind of fake news, mm-hmm. that that uh, false information being passed on. But that's not necessarily propaganda, although it can be a part of a propaganda effort. Propaganda can 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 be a, a, a relatively you know, true or just an opinion. Yep. Right. Which is, you know, neither true nor false necessarily. Mm, but it kind of excludes the possibility of another view being correct. It's very much just like yeah, pushing. Well, one exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it involves the use of slogans. Yeah. Uh, it involves the use of repetition. Uh, it, it involves the use of multiple forms of media and, and and that's really where we become particularly vulnerable uh, living in the in the information age as we do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even with the even with the I mean, obviously, everyone's, you know, COVID still in everyone's mind. But I, I know you shared a few examples on your podcast, but maybe I don't know if you you remember any of them. I can't even uh, well, I, yeah, remember some I, of I those remember... slogans, but just to give people yeah. an idea. Yeah, I remember some of the some of the slogans, and I was I was actually thinking of some other ones as I was thinking about this topic again and revisiting this topic. Um, some of the some of the propaganda slogans that we've seen uh, have been these kind of uh, three word or three part statements mm-hmm. uh, that that governments have used, that health ministers have used, or or the chief medical officers have used to uh, promote a certain behavior. Mm. So it's this, this repetition of, uh, of certain slogans uh, be what, what's, what was the one here build, in, uh, build in build back better. better. Yeah. That's the big one. What's that build back better. Oh, build back better. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's even, that that's, it goes beyond even the, the whole COVID narrative, oh, but yeah. that, you know, speaking specifically about that, the health 
narrative uh, about uh, how we need to uh, be safe and be kind. Yeah, we had uh, stay home, save lives for a while. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so those kinds of, uh, of phrases. There's, there's another one that I, I was trying to remember, which comes from Great Britain, which was three words, oh. but I, I can't, I can't remember it off the top of my Johnson's head. It came pre- previously. They had a similar one. I remember you saying this uh, for their national healthcare system, the NHS. That's right. Yeah, um, exactly. I was hoping that would prompt you because I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, the, the listeners can Google it, but the, the point is, this uh, often comes you, in sets of threes. Ah, I know it. I know what it is now. Right. It's hands, face, space. There you go. So hands, mm. you wash your hands, you cover your face with the mask, and then you keep two meters away from the nearest infector. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's that. You know, hands, face, space. Something that's easy to remember. Uh, repetitive it, it drills into you uh and uh yeah it it impacts people it works i mean until the prime minister gets caught partying with no mess and then he says ah it's fine yeah <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't help yeah that doesn't, no. yeah exactly that doesn't help matters any. maybe i should do that yeah um, but there are there are other examples as well there's another example that i wanted to talk about and that, hmm. that's the uh uh the example of uh, the 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 term frontline workers yes Mm, yeah, the, the term frontline workers, it it, uh, it speaks to a military context because you're on the front lines. Right. So so you're a soldier in battle on the front lines. So there's a military context to it. It's it's meant to uh, lead us to the conclusion that what we're involved in is a battle. Mm, and yep. these heroes are on the front lines. There are frontline workers, the frontline workers, the frontline workers. I had never heard that phrase prior to two years ago frontline workers yeah so that's that's something that's something new within the the public health situation uh the idea of frontline workers but military metaphors are not new in propaganda and you can go back uh to uh the early after the year 2000 uh the uh 2001 the after the 9-11 attacks, the what what we started to hear about was the war on terror. Yep. Okay. So there's a military metaphor being used. It's a war on terror. But that we can go even back further and look at the war on drugs. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there was a war on drugs, and that was a that was a big uh message or a, a far-reaching message speaking about what the government was trying to do with drugs with yeah. illegal drugs in the United States going back further than that to the mid 20th century uh you got the war on poverty so mm-hmm. there's these all these war metaphors We're, we got this war on poverty we got this war on drugs now we got this war on terror now we have this these the, our frontline workers so we have a war on uh on a virus yep. so mm-hmm. these are all propaganda techniques that are used to shape people's thinking and not just to shape their thinking, but to shape their habits mm-hmm. and their behaviors. Right. Yeah, so you're, so the, the, the key here, just to add one more thing, the key here is that your thinking might not change, but your behavior will. Mm. Yeah, well, there's because there's a kind of an ask in that, in that, oh, if it's a war, then I should be participating and fighting against it. Because you, you yeah. hear the flip side of frontline workers. What are they doing? They're working to defeat the virus. Yeah. What is this goal? Exactly. Defeat the virus. That's never been made clear. Or the goalposts have been shifting as well. Yeah, yeah, it is, this is exactly right. Yeah, it seems like it's like 
it's something where you just don't come out and say what you mean all the time. It's, it's something uh-huh. vague about it that, you know, you just can feel the meaning behind it because stay at home, save lives. If you think about what that really means is like, yeah, you're going to leave your house and people are going to start dropping in the streets around you. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. clearly not the case and it, it was never really the case. And no one, I don't know if anyone believed that, but by saying that over and over again and, and people, you know, kind of starting to, you know, imbibe that, like that sentiment, you, right. that's essentially what they start acting like. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I've heard the, the expression, like you can act your way into a, a new way of thinking faster than you can think your way into new way of acting. So that's, people that's start point. acting it out and then they start believing it. Yeah, which is yeah, uh, exactly uh, our, our behavior often influences our, our thinking more than mm-hmm. the opposite. That's a very, that's a very good point. Uh, so <clears throat> when it comes to, uh, the, you know, the current round of propaganda that we're facing, it's, it's people's behavior that they want to influence, mm-hmm. right? They, they, and, and then from there, it goes into belief systems yeah, and it right. starts to, starts to drill away at, at your belief system. You know, how many people haven't you heard using the, uh, you know, saying goodbye to somebody and saying, stay safe. Yeah. yeah. That's huge. Right. Yeah. It's like, you're, yeah. Only your mother what? would say you that before, you know? Yeah. yeah. Literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally if, yeah. if that I know. Yeah. I, well, exactly. Exactly. So it just, it changes our language. It changes the, the and it, it eventually changes the way that we think if we allow mm-hmm. it to. Can you, yeah. can you, uh, elaborate on some examples on how propaganda would would change public opinion and engineer consent i mean maybe you want to go into saul alinsky and all that stuff but just how propaganda engineers consent in a population yeah yeah absolutely i mean that that's a you know engineering consent uh is is an important phrase i mean that that goes back to uh, a guy named Walter Lippmann, also in the early 20th century, who was also another, he was involved in the, in the media. Uh, and he was also somebody who considered a lot about, you know, shaping public opinion. You can, you can look, look at uh, what, another, another example, the, uh, the various uh, military incursions of the United States into the Middle East, hmm. where, where consent was engineered through a manipulation of the media and through the use of propaganda techniques to bombard the population, the voting population with this idea that, you know, at the time, the, the, the big phrase was uh, weapons of mass destruction. Mm. Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction and therefore we need to go in. Now there were no weapons of mass destruction. But that consent was engineered, and there was a there was a huge support for the the uh, the military incursions into the Middle yep. East, into Iraq, and and uh, and and what happened uh, back then. Uh, and largely, it's, it's interesting because I, re- I remember myself back then; I was supportive of it. Yep. I thought, you know what, the United States is going out there, and they're they're doing what they need to do. They're keeping the, the you know, they're uh, spreading democracy, and they're protecting people, and they're you know doing all the right things. You know, now with the benefit of hindsight, I look back at that and I go, whoa, yeah, like this was really uh, a, a, a propaganda war par excellence. Yeah, where big- where we as you know conservatives. Uh, were manipulated to such a great degree 
often not thinking critically about the things that we were hearing. Yeah. And that, I mean, there's an example, there's an example of manufacturing <laughs> consent. Yeah. Do you, right. And that's on the right wing. Do you think a similar, oh, exactly. do you think a similar thing is happening in the pandemic currently? Oh, absolutely. On the absolutely. Left? I, I have absolutely no doubt that that's what's happening today. Yeah. It's interesting. What, what I want by using that example, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to emphasize the fact that this is not just something that's limited to the left wing. No, this, yeah, is, right. this is, this is something that happens. And, and this is something that I emphasize in the podcast. This is something that happens on all sides of the political spectrum. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, my recent episodes are about Saul Alinsky. Maybe we'll talk about that later. So we won't get into too much detail, sure. but Saul Alinsky's tactics are also used on all sides of the political spectrum. Yeah. So we, we think about, you know, the left, the left or the progressives, they're the ones who are using this. Well, no, it's, it's, I would use the word, the elites of society are the ones who are using uh, these propaganda techniques. Hmm. So you, you mentioned earlier, uh, if I may continue, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier the, uh, the slogan, build back better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So build back better. Suddenly last year, we, we started hearing build back better, build back better in New Zealand, build back better in Canada. Joe Biden wants to build back better. Everybody wants to build back better. Well, where does this come from? You know, that, that leads me and we need to ask this question. Okay. So mm-hmm. why is suddenly everybody echoing the same talking points? Why are they all talking about build back better? Uh, what is it about this, this phrase? Where does it come from? The other one is the great reset. Mm-hmm. We need a great reset. The, mm-hmm. the, the world system, the world economic system, as it is right now is not working. And the global pandemic has made that obvious. Yep. So we need a great reset. And so that becomes mm-hmm. another, you know, talking point, another, another phrase that becomes ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Yeah. Right. Now, I think when it comes to the idea of the great reset, there's been a lot of, of pushback and, and, and build back better. People are, people have started to see through that. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. thanks to a lot of independent media and a lot yeah. of people speaking out about it, I think there's, there's a lot of people that are thankfully that are waking up to the the kinds of movements that are going on uh, in the upper echelons among the elites of society of the world uh, and what they want to accomplish. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes I think it can backfire. And I think in, in those cases, maybe it is. And they're going right. to, they're going, but you know what, they're going to look for another, uh, another talking point. Sure. Yeah. The trouble right. is um, well, they is a tricky term, but like the, there is an organization that exists uh, called the trusted news initiative which was set up during a couple months into the pandemic because they figured out, oh, okay, well, we need to get some science-based reporting out here, so to speak, and to get a clear narrative and a clear version of, okay, what's going on? How can we react? And it it potentially very much could have been started with good intentions. But then it was quickly the pharmaceutical industry got a hold of that and said, oh, hey, we can use this. And that's become like like it's some of the, the big names in media, like Washington Post, New York Times, um, some of the big the big papers out in Britain as well, and they they're all part of this organization that puts out news. But it was very like quickly corrupted. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 when you look at when you look at the the state of the fact checking world, yeah, it's that, it's exactly those, it's exactly those the are the guys thing. they go to. Yeah, for the yep. fact checking, it's exactly yep. that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's so. great. Yeah, because when you say things like the. Like a propagandic term, like so. I'm, I'm just thinking of uh, weapons of mass destruction. To me, President Bush comes to my mind because 
I can, yep. just, I can see him. I mean, I was probably still a kid, but I can see him stay saying that over and over off, you know, in speeches and things. So, yep. <clears throat> but when we talk about these propaganda, like terms and, and like build back better, there's always kind of a sense that there's someone like the elites are behind it. The elites or there's somebody we say they are, they want us they, to, you know, yeah, yeah. They, the infamous and, they, right. And yeah. so, but to me, it's, it's a lot of times it's hard to convince somebody that this stuff is going on because it's hard to point to somebody and say, you know, whatever in Ontario, we have Doug Ford. He's like, we have a Doug Ford's not capable of organizing all of this stuff. He doesn't know what's going on. Oh, well maybe it's Justin Trudeau. Well, he's behind everything. It's like, it's not really one person or one guy. So where does this, where does this come from? And then does propaganda also like, can we use that? Like is social media propaganda? Is it, is it built on like an individual level? Are we uh -huh. all kind of like a part of that? Or is it like, like, where's yeah. it? Where's Very it? Good question. Who's the they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good question. You are speaking, in case you didn't know, to a renowned conspiracy theorist. Oh. So, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> there goes the funding. Sorry, RP. <laughs> so, uh, or someone who's been accused of being a conspiracy theorist. Um, and I, I prefer to call myself a conspiracy realist. Mm. I, be I believe that there are conspiracies that exist in the world today. Uh, and I believe they have existed for. Well, since the beginning of uh, the beginning of time or mm -hmm. since the fall into sin, I should put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that Psalm 2 is just as applicable today as when it was written. Mm. Kings of the earth conspire together against the Lord and his anointed. Right. There, so there's there's your ultimate conspiracy theory. Mm. Now, yeah. does this does this indicate that there's one cabal somewhere? in a smoke filled dark room working together to plan our, all of our future. No, right. no, not necessarily. I don't think we need, we don't even need to go there. We, I think when you look at the web of relationships between or among the elites of the world, and I, I use that term elites, by the way, uh, because just recently the, the world economic forum has been meeting and one of the delegates at the World Economic Forum meeting was talking about, and she, she this was really funny, actually. She, she referred to herself and to her companions as the elites of the world. So she said, we elites, the good news is that we elites are, are getting together and we're working together and, uh, and we're on the same page. Freudian slip. Much? Bad news is, <laughs> what's that? Is it Freudian slip much? Yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. So, so she, she referred to herself and, and uh, her compatriots as the elites. Uh, and then she said, unfortunately, uh, yeah, she didn't use these words, but the masses aren't, aren't on board with us. So we, we have, we have work to do in convincing, convincing the average Joe uh, that, uh, that we have their best interests at heart. So, I mean, there are, there are a, a, a group you know, how large that group is of elites in our society, in, in the world uh, that are part of various organizations, whether they're, whether it's the World Economic Forum or whether it's in the United States, the Council on Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Commission or the Club of Rome or the Bilderberg Group or any or the uh, uh, the group that meets in uh, north of San Francisco. What's it called? The. Oh. Uh, Bo Bohemian uh, Grove? No. The Bohemian Grove. Yeah, the Bohemian Grove oh, right? you know about that too. Oh, wow. I was going to yeah, say that's so, like some so, mossy California group or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know that Stephen Harper has uh, has been a, a a participant in Bohemian Grove. Yeah. 
uh, and many others. So it's like I said, it's not limited to right or left. It's we're talking about elite groups in in society, Uh, those who have the money, those who have the power. um, And that's, you know, who are they? That's they. Right. Right. The other, you know, to to continue on that point, uh, Lenin used the phrase useful idiot. You guys may have heard that phrase before. He talked about the useful idiots. And it sounds like a really horrible, terrible, pejorative phrase. Uh, But I think in many cases, it's accurate. So there's people who don't know uh, exactly who is manipulating them. Uh, but they're the ones they're the, they're the they're the puppets who are yep. being manipulated so mm, yeah interesting yeah i okay maybe we can tie this back I, you had a good episode on um how the pandemic is not so much a crisis of health but rather a crisis of faith can you tie that into uh again like this engineering consent like maybe just work through to give people who because yeah. I, I think like we should be fair to people and just, we just assume, Oh yeah, it's engineering consent. But let's, let's kind of break that down. Like uh-huh. what, what is that cycle and how, how is the government and the media and opinion polls and data? Like what, how is this all playing out in engineering consent? Okay. So, so how, how, you know, what's the best way or, or what are the best conditions in which to engineer consent of the masses? That's what we need to think about. And we need to think about what's going on. Uh, and and relate those two things to each other. One of the great motivators for many people is fear. So fear, whether it's fear of the unknown, fear of death, fear of disease, fear of suffering, uh, fear is fear is a, a a very strong motivator for many people because the world lives in fear. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I'm talking when I'm talking about the unbelieving world lives in fear. Because this life is all you have. And when this life is all you have, well, you're going to do whatever it takes to protect it, right? Up until a certain point. Uh, so fear is a great motivator. So to, to keep people in a state of fear is going to be one wing or one, one you know, one, uh, one of the front lines in, in the battle. Keep people in a state of fear. Another thing that, that really uh, affects people's ability to sift through a propaganda message is uh, isolation. And when we're isolated from one another, we're very easily manipulated. So if we're not in a community, we are, we are easily blown to and fro. Uh, we don't have people to back us up. We don't have people to stand up for us. We don't have people to encourage us. And therefore we are easily driven into this fear mode or accepting what it is that we're hearing from the propaganda machine. So, you know, so you have fear on the one hand, you have isolation on the other hand, you have uh, an education system, which has led to generations of people who are unable to filter information and to think for themselves. You know, all of this has kind of led to the, the perfect storm, not to mention the the fact that we are just bombarded by media 24/7 you know each one of us has has one of these mm-hmm. and yep. uh yeah I, I recently saw a video of jordan peterson saying uh about this he said uh he said if you uh if you're given a hydrogen bomb you better uh be sure that you know what you're doing with it 
So he, he equated the ele- little electronic gizmos and devices that we have to something as powerful as a hydrogen bomb. And I think he's exactly right. We haven't understood that, mm-hmm. there are, that there are great blessings to technology, but there are also very, very great dangers to it. Mm-hmm. And as we all get hooked on our, uh, our news feeds and our uh, social networks, uh, the, then that, that pressure builds on us as well. So a fearful person, a person who's isolated from other people, a person who is uh, hooked up, you know, via intravenous to the, uh, the sources of, of information and opinion uh, becomes ready prey for a person who's, and also a person who's not educated, who doesn't know history uh, becomes ready prey for the propaganda machine. So all of these things come together. Mm. So, how does that come together in the current public health crisis between quotation marks? Well, I think it comes together in this way. We have governments, which as governments are want to do seek more power. Now, particularly in Canada, we have a government that is looking to uh, that prior to this was already looking to build back better to, to a great reset to uh, molding and forming society in a certain way. And uh, one American politician said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And they're certainly not letting a good crisis go to waste. So you have the government here. Then you have the media here. Also in Canada, we have have the media, which unfortunately is largely in the pocket of the government, receiving funding from the government, supporting the government, uh, being ideologically aligned with the government. So you 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 have government. You have media, then you have the big corporations. You know, who's benefiting in all of this? You look at uh, the Walmarts of the world, the Costcos of the world, uh, the Amazon, particularly. Mm-hmm. Amazon yeah. is just unbelievable what's happening with Amazon, what's happened with Amazon over the past couple of years. Oh, yeah. uh, so all of these, who benefits? Well, they benefit. The the multi-billionaires become multi-multi-billionaires. Yeah. So you have the government, the media, the big corporations, but then within the big corporations, you also have big pharma. Mm. So you have the big pharmaceutical companies. So it just becomes this like a, like a, almost like a unified effort on, along all spheres to promote this narrative and to instill fear so that you have to do this and you have to do this and we can change this. And we can uh, we can form our society in this way. We could take away some of your freedoms here. Yeah. And because you're afraid, you'll say, yeah, sure. That's that, you know, I, I'm willing to give up my freedoms because we do care about other people. Yeah. We care about other people's health. <clears throat> you know, uh, we don't want to kill grandma. No. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody does. Uh, so it also appeals to a side of, of people, which is a, an altruistic side. And so an uninformed altruistic person uh, who only watches the mainstream media uh, is, uh, is easy prey, the especially, somebody, especially somebody who is uh, isolated from society. So, and, and this is where, and this is where, uh, you know, I'm going on here, but this is where the church is so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is where the body of Christ becomes so important for us. And, and it, you know, I, I've told other people this too. The last two years has been such a great blessing for me personally. And I think it's been a, a great blessing in many ways uh, uh, for a lot of us because it has opened up 
our eyes. It's, it's, uh, you know, we, we got this wake up call mm. that, you know what? The community of saints is so important. The support of our brothers and sisters is so important. The worship service is so important. Yeah. The, the fellowship that we have is vital. Uh, and you know, we need to, we need to prize these things. We need to value these things because through this, even on a, on a sociological level, we can say that God is using these things, these aspects of church life to protect us, Mm, to keep us strong and to keep us safe. So yeah, that, that, uh, but in the, in the world, we live in a very fragmented world a world that's full of, of tribalism and separations. People are separated from one another. Uh, you know, they imagine that a connection, you know, on the screen is this, is the same as a connection, uh, a personal connection. Yeah. Um, you know, they may not have any personal connections with their neighbors or with, with, you know, people in their, in their community. Uh, and they become, or they may not have family connections because the family breaks down. Oh yeah. Totally. So mm-hmm. there's no, there's no mediating institution. Yeah. that exists between the individual and the state. Yeah. And the so state, nothing the there. Just, there's nothing there to protect you. Yeah. It just takes over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah like exactly. You, you basically describe the average Canadian. It's like, yeah. you know, altruistic, but uninformed and lonely yeah. and without purpose, largely leave CBC on all day. <laughs> yeah. Well, this yeah. is, this is, uh, this is exactly the thing. I went to an event a few days ago. Uh, it was a doctors on tour event here in, in BC, five doctors speaking about the, the, uh, public health situation. And, uh, the one, uh, the one doctor asked this question. He said, how many of you regularly watch the news on TV? And, you know, nobody put their hands up. Yeah, right. yeah, so, uh, you know, these are people that are much, much more informed than those whose only source of information is the corporate news media. Right. Yeah. Sadly, sadly. And I use that, I use that phrase and I use that phrase in the podcast as well It's corporate, the corporate news media, because I think, you know, you talk about the mainstream media. Uh, I think, I think the, the real important aspect is this is the corporate news media, uh, largely held by very few people. Yeah, uh, which yeah, which has its own ideology and its own viewpoint that it wants to push. Yeah, I started using the word press instead of media because press seems like like Biden's got a press secretary says whatever he uh, wants to say. Well, really, it's basically just it's press. I mean, prop- it used to be the same thing. It's just propaganda. It's just government press, right? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Well, maybe we can tie this. I don't know if you wanted to ask anything else about propaganda, but I want to like we're talking about media. We're talking yeah, about big tech, like. These things are all so connected and, and so relevant because, yeah, I mean, no one puts their hand up when when you're talking about who watches the news. And I don't know what, like, you know, the CBC's The National gets for viewership anymore, but I'm sure I'm sure they it's better than most of their programs. But um, it's, it's less than half a million. But, yeah, it's 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 peanuts compared to even some of these online um, news organizations who are running. Well, I mean, the States is obviously way bigger, but um, and I'm sure people in Canada follow them, too. But. Um, it's so much easier to, to, you know, go off of, um, get off of these big tech or big, uh, media companies and get into, you know, watching some guy on YouTube who's talking about something that you like. Um, but then we get all the censorship on the big tech side. So uh, when you, when you Google, um, well, you know, today's news is the trucker convoy on Google, you get, um, just mainstream media. You don't get, you don't get another viewpoint. So, um, yeah, maybe we can talk about like mainstream media and then where do we 
where should we be going? And then, you know, maybe, you know, we'll dive into the big tech censorship thing. And yeah, yeah. how can Christian sort through today's news? And do you have recommendations uh-huh. for that? Yeah. The, uh, it, and it, you know what? It's been a while. Uh, my dad was a, was a big news watcher. Uh, he, and he passed away a year ago, but when I would, when I would, uh, when I would be at his place, uh, and he'd turn on the news at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or whatever at night, I'd sit there for a couple of minutes. Cause I never watched the news. I'd sit there for a couple of minutes. And I would just shake my head and I'm like, I, I can't watch this anymore. Mm. This is just, this is just so obviously slanted and biased that I, you know, I, I can't even stomach it. Mm. Um, but and I, and I think that's that's you know with with some variation within the the mass media, that's what you're what you're looking at. You're looking at uh, a, a corporate media that is staffed by people who have a very specific ideology. And studies prove this. This is not this is not a theory. Uh, this is not just some you know radical right wingers idea. But the the media skews drastically. To the left mm-hmm. politically and drastically to the unchristian and on matters of faith. <laughs> so that's that's what you're dealing with. They're, and so that they anyone who anyone who stands out from the crowd uh in that in that mainstream gets you know censored, gets pushed off, uh gets gets fired, as has ha- as has happened. Uh, you know, numerous times. So that's, that's what you're getting in the mainstream media. But then the question is, okay, well, where do you go? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think there's, there are, there are alternatives and those alternatives, you know, they're not as, they're not as small as, uh, as you might think they're, they're pretty big time alternatives as well, but some of those alternatives are better than others. Uh, Just to give you an example, uh, Breitbart, so Breitbart News, that, that, I'm sure, you know, I would imagine probably uh, a lot of the people that listen that watch uh, your podcast or listen to your podcast uh, follow Breitbart News or go to Breitbart for, for their news. Uh, in Canada, True North is, an, is, is another one or Rebel News is another one. Well, you know what? These are, uh, these are companies that all have their own agenda as well. Oh, yeah. Right? So when you, when you look at something like Breitbart, and you can see it very clearly. Uh, they have their own agenda. When you look at Rebel News and Ezra Levant, I, I, I love a lot of what they do, but <laughs> very clearly they set up um, websites have, all the have time. an agenda as well. Oh yeah, what's yeah. that? They set up websites all like they make domains for everything too. Like, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, oh, donate, exactly. yeah, sign up. Like it's always yeah. it's a business model. It, very obvious. Yeah, they're they're always doing they're always doing fundraising. They're trying yeah, to yeah, pay yeah. for pay for what they're doing. <laughs> so. Um, so we need to be very careful with that too. We can't we can't go to Breitbart and say, well, Breitbart's right because mm-hmm. they're the conservative side. No. Well, you know, we're not necessarily the conservative side, right? We're not Republicans, and we're not uh, members. You know, we're not defined by our membership in the Conservative Party of Canada, uh, or what have you, the People's Party, whatever it is. No. Uh, you know, we're defined by our Christianity, our Christian faith. So what we need to look for is is honesty. What we need to look for is a uh, yeah, a, a, a perspective that we're going to, we're going to receive, that's going to give you the truth. Uh, and, you know, with as little spin as possible, if possible, uh, I think of, uh, one, one of my favorite sources, uh, 
in uh, in the last couple of years has been Epoch News or Epoch News, E P O C H. Yeah, yeah, I've heard uh, of them. They have um, the Times or something. What's that? The yeah, Epoch Times. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. So they they uh, they come out of uh, uh, or they're you know founded by a group of uh, of Chinese, obviously very wealthy uh, Chinese. You know, people have come out of China, probably out of Hong Kong. I'm not sure, uh, but they also have their own, you know, their own agenda. They're uh, they're supporters of Falun Gong, which is a, a Chinese religion. Uh, but at the same time, I think they they do a lot of very good reporting and actual journalism. Yeah. But that kind of journalism is is hard to find. It's you know, it's hard to find. You're not you're not going to find not anything that's unbiased. But it's hard to find straightforward journalism where people do the work of digging, of you know, uncovering, of of looking behind the scenes, and that's 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 why I like uh, a lot of independent journalists who work, uh, you know, they work on their own and they, you know, they they cover any number of issues. But there's there's independent journalists out there who are I, I recommend and who I find to be very helpful in considering, you know, the big picture. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And you can find them on what platforms like Substack or something? Well, yeah, that that and, uh, you know, just various websites, you know, just, just to mention a few, uh, you know, there's there's uh, there's a guy named James Corbett, uh, who's a Canadian guy who lives in Japan. He has a website called Corbett Report, yep. which is very good. Uh, there's a website called The Last American Vagabond, which has a, a news wrap-up each day. There's uh, a guy named Patrick Wood who's written a couple of books on technocracy, and uh, and he's got a website called technocracy.news, hmm. uh, where it's like a news aggregator site. So every yep. every day there'll be a, a number of news stories that he'll he'll go through and bring you through to different websites to look at them. Um, and uh, and then there's uh, oh there's 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 a few others as well. Unlimited Hangout is another one. Okay. So there, there there's there there's uh, and then there's I'm sure there's more that I haven't heard of. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. But but it's good to, it's good to look at a number of different sources. It's good to look at you know what the, look at look at what Global is reporting or what CBC is reporting, and then and then check out somebody else and and see what they're reporting. And 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 when you're reading something on you know, the corporate media or watching something on the corporate media, always remember, you know, be literate, be, be savvy, mm. uh, be culturally literate, be literate and understand what it is that they're doing in their worldview. Yeah, Cause it's a, the, the big issue of worldviews and how they see the world and how they explain the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You talked about one podcast about how media is made and, and understanding like what is, um, you, what's, what's behind it all, what the system is behind it. And then understanding like, yeah, they're coming at it from obviously from a viewpoint and, you know, I guess you just have to, you have to think about who it is that's talking to you instead of, you know, um, yeah. you know, just bringing it all in and accepting it as the truth. But yeah, yeah it, it, well, got, it got me thinking of like, we, we often go to like clickbait stuff, right? You scroll through anything, like you scroll through a news feed on Google or, or on, on, on some social media site and it's, it's easier to just take in the headlines that are the punchy yeah. things. Yeah. that they're trying to sell you basically um it's a lot harder to do what you're describing and go to four sources and find out what the real truth is so it's almost like laziness that we just don't care enough to go yeah uh, to go work at it yeah you know what and we've been conditioned we've been conditioned like lab rats to do that 
Mm. <laughs> and it's and it's by the nature of the media that we use. Yeah. Uh, you know, Neil Postman years ago, he wrote a book called Amusing Amusing Ourselves to Death or Amusing Yourself to Death, mm. uh, talking about television and how television shapes shapes people. And, and, and even more so since then, we have been shaped by the the various media that we have. You know, uh, you know, you know, in the previous decade was blogs. Mm. So it was blogs. Everything was short and everything was punchy. You have a little article. And so the only, the only people got so used to that, their attention span got shorter and they got less able to focus. We all got less able to focus on, you know, actually sick, you know, sinking our teeth into something meaty and you need something in bite-sized chunks. And politicians know this, which is why they give sound bites. Mm -hmm. The propagandists know this, and that's why they give little slogans. Yep. Uh, uh, and you know, people they they adapt to these things in, in certain ways. Like like uh, for example, uh, Prager University. Mm, yeah. uh, they they have the the channel on YouTube, or I think it's on YouTube, anyways. But they they cut everything down into five minute, you know, five minute portions. Now I, I've you know I find it difficult. <laughs> to keep my podcast down under a half an hour. And then people tell me, well, it's, you know, that's well, with this stuff you talked about was pretty complicated. Well, I, I, you know, I try to make it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I think we need to demand of ourselves uh, because of the importance of it. We need to demand greater things of ourselves Mm. and, and, and work harder at it. Yeah. So harder at, at being consumers when we are, when we are consuming, uh, when we are taking these things in, we need to, we need to be awake. We need to be aware and we need to be willing to put in the effort. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you're kind of seeing, if you look at the culture broadly, there's this trend, like you describe where the attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and the sound bites are just increasingly being shorter. It's little video clips and we can't pay attention for long periods of time. People don't read near as much as they used to. But on the other hand, you also see the resurgence of long form podcasting, not necessarily uh-huh. long form. Uh, like people, I don't think people are reading books as much, although I, I can't say I look at the stats on that, yeah. but yeah, that's true. But it seems to be oh, people are reading more books these days. No, no, it's true. No, what you say is true. They're, they're reading less books. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it, but it's, it, it's interesting because you do see a lot of these long form podcasts really take mm-hmm. it off. I mean, uh, Joe Rogan's program being yeah. the, the top one among them. So, which is also, you know, uh, disseminating a lot of this information that you can't get from the, from the corporate legacy media as well, mm-hmm. which is interesting to see. So yeah. from like, cause I've spent a bit of time in media, um, before I started working for Ty, like I was involved with the post millennial for a couple of years, okay. like right when they got off the ground, I was there for a couple of years and I was an editor there, editor there for a bit. But, um, yeah, like I, that one episode you had where you talked about the lazy Twitter style of journalism stuff. Oh, yeah. That yeah. resonated with me, but I'm also, cause I was, I had these same thoughts a couple of years ago. Cause I thought, wow, like I got into this and it was just kind of a part-time thing that sort of became mostly a full-time thing. And then it didn't, didn't end up working out. Um, just cause there wasn't enough money in it, honestly, but like, it's a tight business model and you have like quick timelines, turnaround stories. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you're the editors, like, you got to get one out. Like, what are we doing today? And you're like, oh, it's easy. Go to Twitter. He said, she said, he said, she said, boom. Big story, a lot of clicks. There you go. And then yeah. you make a couple bucks and you move on to your next one. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no, I get that. I get yeah. that. Yeah. It's so there's a Elon, real, there's a real yeah. tension there. Yeah. Right. Just say, say whatever Elon said. And then, yeah. No, <laughs> Elon yeah, Musk yeah. Said yeah, that's that. right. Oh, boom. News article. Yeah. I'll click, click, click on click, that. Click, yeah. Click. 
So yeah, there was I mean, there was there was a story like that on Rebel this afternoon. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Rebel Elon does. Musk treated uh, or tweeted something like uh, that he loves Canadian truckers. Yeah, Canadian truckers rule. It was, a, it was a three. <laughs> word, yeah, Canadian, there we go. Canadian three, truckers rule. A three word tweet, and then it's Everyone. a whole story. Yeah. Yeah. That becomes a whole story. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. So I guess my, my question is maybe in some of your research and and just having more life experience, like how do we get better as consumers in terms of, um, yeah, being savvy about the news production? And do you see a hope? Like, because I guess one of my questions uh, earlier I thought of too was like we talked a lot about propaganda, and propaganda works to a large extent because. You know, we, we, we can see how human nature works and, and we go in these short little sound bites and these three word uh, jingles and, and these three word slogans and it works and, it, and you can convince the masses, you can engineer consent. So yeah. is part of the church's calling, because um, you've also talked about, about this in other episodes, is mm-hmm. not to get caught up in the propaganda, but just to stick with proclaiming the gospel faithfully. Is there yeah. a cultural side of that, which is, yes, proclaiming the gospel, but also just proclaiming the truth and taking the time yeah. to give the larger context and the nuance in situations? I I think that's really an extremely important point because, because we can look at, we can look at the world and we can look at, you know, the, the, the way media uh, communicates, we can look at what it seems like people can accept uh, and what people do accept, you know, more readily. And we, we might think to ourselves, well, that means that we need to change our own uh, way of doing things. We need to adapt to this. Mm. Now, there's a certain to a certain extent. Yes, we do need to uh, speak to our culture and speak to people where they're where they're at. There is truth in that. Uh, you know, we can't speak to people in a language that they don't understand. If it's if it's if it's all Greek to them, then we might as well just be uh, you know shouting to the wind. Yeah. Uh, so we do need to, in, in a sense, speak to people where they're at in a way that's understandable to them. But this is where we need to be very careful because we cannot use the world's methods and think, well, this works. Therefore, I'm going to have to do this. So, so the propaganda methods, the the quick punchy slogans, the repetitive nature of it. You know, we can't we can't effectively do propaganda anyways because we're we're not you know uh, everywhere and we're not controlling all of the, or, or, or having a, uh, an influence on every aspect of a society. Yep. We, have, we have our, our corner, we have the place where we're working from. Uh, so, you know, we can't do that, but we can, we can, we could think or imagine that we can use these propaganda or communication techniques for good. Yeah. Uh, we could use, uh, you mentioned, we mentioned Saul Alinsky. We could use Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals for good. Now, some of those rules we can use for good, but others of them, we have to reject out of hand completely. Mm. And this is where it's so important for us to remember who's on our side. Yeah. That if God is on our side against us shall be none. Mm. Right? My, yeah. my, my wife said this about, uh, about something that, that, uh, that we're involved in. She said this to me the other day, you know, the way I could, the way I could do this, get into this kind of uh, conflict situation is knowing that there's somebody behind me who's way bigger than I am. Yeah. Mm. And that he's the one who's in control. Yeah. And that he's, he's the one who's moving things. So we need to communicate effectively. We need to use our God given gifts or abilities to communicate. Uh, And, and we need to use, you know, 
to, to speak in a way that people can understand. So, you know, most obviously uh, here we are speaking English. Yeah. Right. When I go to Brazil, I speak Portuguese because that's what they understand the language. Yep. Uh, but if I was to speak in philosophical, uh, highfalutin theological uh, lingo and uh, without explaining it, then, you know, I might as well not be saying anything at all. Mm. Uh, so we need to speak people's language, uh, but we also need to encourage people to challenge themselves. Yeah. So like a practical example of that, I'm just thinking now off the fly would be, so take this, we have a long form podcast here. So we would encourage people to, to listen to a podcast in context, the whole thing. If they can't do that, well, maybe we'll put a, a little social media clip and then uh -huh. it's like, oh, okay, I'm interested. Then I'll listen to the full thing. And then on the podcast, you mentioned a number of books. You can encourage people to do their own research. Read, read, the, read the source literature. Read the books. Form your own conclusions. And I suppose right. that's kind of a, a, a practical train of, uh, of, ex of exercise and challenging people that they can yeah. have the personal discipline to. Yeah, I mean, I have this, I have this all the time where I'm like, I, I enjoy reading. I enjoy trying to find new ideas and, and learning about stuff. But I, it's way easier just to go to YouTube and just watch stuff for a while uh -huh, or just go uh -huh. on TikTok or like I just a week like for the past week and a half like literally yesterday I stopped <laughs> I was off social media just just trying it I was like yeah I'll see how it goes whatever and like it was cold fine turkey. For, yeah cold turkey and it was fine for a bit but like I definitely did the whole check my phone oh there's nothing okay I'll go my banking app that's fun but like, <laughs> just don't do it like don't, just this this weird like yeah, yeah, it's Pavlovian just checking my phone thing. It started to go away, but then we had this whole trucker convoy thing going on, and everyone and their mothers talking about that. I'm getting a lot of FOMO. I'm like, oh, I want to get on social media and talk about this. And then eventually, I just did. I'm like, ah, whatever, it'll be fine. But it's <laughs> when it's done, I'll go back up. It's such yeah, a yeah. struggle daily just to have that personal uh -huh. discipline. But I think that's what we yeah. need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Because because there are you know what there are psychological and there are chemical things that happen to us because of social media you know you talk about endorphin rushes and it's things that things that lead to addiction to addictive behaviors it's all there it's yeah. all there and you know you know who takes takes great advantage of that facebook oh, bad, bad. <laughs> you know the way they the way they work their algorithms the way they add certain uh uh certain features and take mm. away other features it's all geared at getting you to salivate when they ring the bell, like Pavlov's dog, right? Yeah, oh, it's crazy. And, 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 and they have, and they have, you know, psychologists, they have uh, behaviorists who are, are studying these things and developing these things. They have since the beginning. They, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Watch the social another, goal. you know, another, another area is, you know, those, those, uh, those game apps that you download for your phone or for your iPad or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. These things are, are developed so carefully, something like Angry Birds oh, Deve yeah. developed. I mean, I, I don't know what, what's, what's the latest one. I, Angry Birds, Candy Crush. I don't know what the, what the big ones are. I mean, yeah. Subway Surfer. No, that's right. I, like I don't really play phone too, games, but <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay. Like, like, but, oh, there was Clash of Clans. Yeah. Like even on like, not so uh, much yeah, stuff like that. These, these guys, these, these companies, they know what they're doing. Oh yeah. yeah. And they're, they are manipulating you. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I know, I know because I, you know, it's very easy for me to get hooked on one of those things. Oh, I, know, I know myself. Oh yeah. 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 You're good. Right? Uh, but they know what they're doing. They, 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 uh, and they use that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The interesting thing is you don't, if you get off of it, you don't miss it. That's I, that's what I find. Like I'll, I'll yeah. like, whatever, I'll, if I'm bored or whatever 
whatever, maybe in an airport or something, I'll pull up my phone, yeah. download a little game, and then then you're hooked on it for a week because you're like, this is yeah. this is fun. Yeah. But as soon as you, it's gone, it's just it's like ah yeah yeah. Social media is kind of like that. Although to be fair to Lucas, yeah. he was he got back on because he couldn't find any good news anywhere else other than on social yeah, media. Yeah, that's so. true actually. Uh huh. No, that's that, that's very but, true. Like last year, last year I quit Facebook. Yeah. So I'm no longer on Facebook, and uh, and to like there there is a, there is a a way you know an aspect of it that I miss, and that is the contacts that I had. Mm. and the uh, the ability i had to you know divulge certain things or to write things and to have you know lots of people you know on my account to read it now i'm on miwi uh i have about one tenth of the or 10 percent of the the contacts that i had on facebook and i like miwi because they're not collecting my information but that, and that's really to me the most important thing mm. i'm not i'm not the the uh, the product i'm i'm actually the user yep. right on facebook you're the product yeah. oh yeah oh yeah and uh, so they don't use algorithms to to mess with your your uh, your timeline, your news feed, or whatever. Yeah, you're, you're just getting the straight news feed. That's what that's what it is. It's simple and it's straightforward, and you know you're not not being messed around with. Uh, but yeah, that's the, these. You know, this gets back to the the whole propaganda thing. I mean, there there are are behavioral analysts who are being being employed by our governments. Uh, they're, you know, they call them nudge units uh, to nudge us in certain directions. Uh, you know, the 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 Canadian military uh, is involved in uh, information warfare, and and this has been revealed and this has been written about in the in the Ottawa newspaper. I think the Ottawa, what is it? Sun. The Sun. I'm not sure. Anyways, in one of the Ottawa newspapers, there's a reporter who's done some great work, some actual real reporting, some real journalism. Uh, investigating what what the Canadian military has been up to, and and you know this is not some fringe, uh, some fringe outfit uh, talking talking out of their hat, right? So this is this is a, a mainstream news outlet, which uh, who's uh, where there's a good reporter working there who's doing that work to find out you know what's going on, yeah. and mm. and how you know yeah how information is uh, is a weapon. And uh, and it's being used by people who know how to use it. Yeah. Okay. There's there's another topic I wanted to tackle. It's related to a lot of the stuff we've talked about already. Um, but this in the line of propaganda and in the line of engineering consent, uh, you talked about on one of your episodes about masks and the symbolism involved in masks and how right. that's connected into the whole the it helps strengthen the narrative and, and promote the propaganda. I guess yeah. two, two things on that. One, maybe explain how it does that. And two, are you familiar with Jonathan Pajot? Because he's talked about this a lot as well. Jonathan Pajot, the 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 name is familiar to me. Is he uh he's an artist? Yes, he's a icon carver and well, pretty okay. much YouTuber now. Yeah, he's a friend okay, of Okay, but uh, I'm, I'm not Jordan familiar Peterson, I'm not so. familiar with his work though. Okay. Yeah. He's he's yeah. uh his whole website is the symbolic world. That's all. Like that's his kind of a gig is talking about the symbolism in everyday yep. life all around us. And he's, he's done a bunch of work on masks too. So yeah, yeah that's worth checking out for anybody, but uh, you, you would definitely enjoy that as well. Yeah. He's, I, he's I, Eastern I, I Orthodox. I will check it out. Yeah. He's a Eastern Orthodox. Yeah. A Eastern of, Orthodox. Yeah. So interesting, interesting point of view, different from a reform way of thinking, but definitely the, he touches on <laughs> symbolism really well. You know, you know what? Uh, Eastern Orthodox guys are really good in the, in that area mm. in under, in understanding. Uh, I'm talking about serious Eastern Orthodox yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, 
they're, 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 they have a, a very deep understanding of the importance of symbolism and the importance of liturgy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's definitely there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, which, you know what, we, as reform people, we're, we're not that far off in terms of our understanding of the importance of liturgy. Like we're a liturgical church, mm-hmm. uh, liturgical churches. We have a, a, a very, uh, a set liturgy that we follow. And I think, I think oftentimes we don't understand why it is that we follow this set liturgy yeah, right. or we don't explain it. We may not explain it very well, but there's a real importance to that. Yep. And there's an importance to symbolism. And that's something that we need to be very much aware of uh, is the importance of symbolism, how symbols are, are used in every area of life, be it church, be it worship, how there's liturgical actions that we follow in, in every, and every, you know, everything that we do uh, because we're, we're ritually oriented people, whether we, whether we want to uh, recognize it or not, is that we're very rituals shape us, our rituals shape us. Mm. Uh, and if, if people say they have no rituals, well, they just have different rituals and probably rituals that they don't understand. Yeah. And that's where, to me, that's where the, the whole mask issue becomes very concerning. Because they're, you know, talk not even to get into, you know, first of all, you get into the science of it. Uh, and uh, I don't even need to debate the science of it. This that like there have been so many studies that show and and uh medical professionals and experts that have shown that masks do nothing Cloth or masks. very little yeah, or yeah, very little. Yeah, yeah. Right. So and, and it's it's more of a symbol. And this is this has been known, and, and the episode of the podcast that I did on this was was on an article article that was published in a sociological journal in the 1950s about the use of masks in tuberculosis wards, <clears throat> where uh, the uh, the sociologist who was doing the study discovered that really the use of masks was largely, uh, or could largely be explained as the use of a good luck charm or a religious talisman. So it becomes part of the liturgy of everyday life, where in order to get into the store, you have to put the thing on. You know, you put the thing on, you see other people, they're all, they all have the thing on as well. Uh, you may or may not feel comfortable with it. You may or may not believe that it does anything, but you do that symbolic action, which says, I'm on board. I'm with you. I'm part of the group. Uh, I care. You know, I may not. Uh, I may not believe that this thing does anything, but I care enough about you and about your feelings to put this on, even though I think it's ridiculous. Mm. So uh, that's where the mask comes in. So it becomes actually a cultic object. And when I say a cultic object, I mean an object that is a part of our worship system. Mm. So, you know, the cult, the cultus being the worship, our worship. So it becomes that it becomes uh, like an idol, like something that will uh, will protect us in some way. And so it becomes a part of our regular habit in that way. So that's where, to me, uh, people say, well, you know, it's just a mask. Don't worry about it. What are you so worried about? Like, what's the big deal? You, you know, your glasses get fogged up. You're a little bit uncomfortable. If it makes other people comfortable and if it's part of the part of the rules, then then we should just do it. Well, I think it's a whole it's a whole lot more serious than that. Yeah. And I think we, uh, you know, we, as, as churches, as Christians, we need to think about uh, what, what is the, the symbolism of the mask and covering your face? 
because I've also heard people say, well, you know, in, in Asian countries, China, Japan, and I, you know, I've seen this as well. Uh, people would, would wear masks in the past, just out on the street and they'd wear masks, like, like a surgical medical mask. Uh, if, uh, if they were going on the subway or, or whatever, yep. uh, it's, it's more accepted in their culture. And whereas it's much less accepted in our culture. And I believe that is, has a lot to do with worldview, with how we view the individual, where we still live in a culture, which despite the fact that we live in a post-Christian culture, there's still a, a lot of residual influence of Christianity mm-hmm. with its emphasis on uh, the importance of the individual, that we are all unique individuals created in the image of God. Um, you know, that, that still has uh, an influence in our society, despite the fact that it's, it's denied yep. by and large yep. by the powers that be, by the majority of people. But we still live in that way. And I think that's why the use of masks in an Asian country is going to be much more accepted than the use of masks in a Western country, because we, we understand more that the mask is covering our individuality. Uh, we're not able to uh, interact with each other on an intimate level with a mask on. I can't see what you're doing with your, with your face, with your mouth. I can't see how you're, you know, all of the millions of body language, uh, yeah, parts of body language that that are missing because of that, yeah. because of the use of masks. Totally. So, so we end up being even more distant. We may be standing six feet apart, but the mask makes us even more distant from one another. Mm-hmm. So we're not able to have that yeah. intimate. Yeah, That's- because, we're, because we're covered up. Yeah, you know, there's a reason. There's a reason why in Islam. Uh, you know, the, the strict, uh, uh, job. you know, fundamentalist Islam, the, the women keep themselves covered like that. Mm. And there's a reason why people were against that <laughs> and why it wasn't allowed in, in Quebec or in France where they made laws about that mm. because it was demeaning. They thought of it as demeaning until now when everyone has to keep their head, their face covered. Yeah. Strange how that works, how, how previously it was understood that the symbolism of wearing a face covering was demeaning to the person who was wearing it. And now the, the symbolism of the face covering has been completely forgotten or ignored. Mm. Well, there's a new and better reason. (laughs) Well, actually, exactly. Because you know, and you know why, because it's not a religious reason. Mm. It's a scientific reason. No, that's bang on. And that is where the whole religion of scientism comes in. Yeah. Mm. Well, Francois uh, Legault, the uh, premier of Quebec, there was an article about this back in the summer. That was great French. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, he uh, talked about, well, Trudeau made a comment on uh, Quebec's Bill 21, which is the, uh, I believe that is the, the ban on religious garb in public life, essentially. Mm. Yeah. And he and Trudeau has been like kind of mealy mouth and waffly on this, but he says he doesn't like it, but he's not going to do anything because he gets a lot of votes in Quebec, et cetera. And he said, yeah. Well, maybe Quebec, this is Trudeau, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially maybe Quebecers will start to change their minds about Bill 21 because they've been wearing masks and they understand that, oh, yeah, like it's not that big of a deal. Like people can cover their face. And then Legault said, no, 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 we, we can differentiate between a mask worn for health or for science and religious masks. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just yeah. exactly it. Mm-hmm. Because, until, because we yeah. don't. Sorry, go ahead. Well, until the science wears off, right? If. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, if everyone's vaccinated, now we're still doing it. If, you know, you're boosted, then we're still doing it. 
right? So at some point it is religious and it's just like saying, yeah. it's just like saying, uh, you believe in evolution. It's like science. Well, yeah, you think it's science, but at some point, you know, you can argue until it's, re- until it's a religion, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah, atheism. Absolutely. It's not a religion. It's just, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a religion. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It all, it all has, it all has a religious, a religious base to it. it and when, when it comes down to these worldview issues, uh, and I think we really need to work on understanding these worldview issues and, and that'll lead us to understand, you know, the big picture and a lot of these things. Uh, it, it's, it's a battle of worldviews and a, and a, and a clash of religious beliefs. Totally. Hmm. That you had an episode um, and I can, the title is escaping me right now, but essentially you were comparing, there was three um, sort of worldviews or forces at work, which was Christianity, yep. scientism yep. and capitalism. Can you yeah, go into absolutely. that a bit? Because yeah. that that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. This is this this comes from uh, an Italian philosopher named Giorgio Agamben. Yes, uh, and his his work I, I highly recommend it. So he's a Roman Catholic philosopher, uh, Italian. His work has been translated, or some of his works have been translated. Highly recommend his uh, his blog posts, which have been translated and, and posted online. Um, and he is a uh, he's really his his focal point has been. Uh, in his studies has been the use of the state of exception in various countries. So how a a state of exception, the government will use the state of exception. Things now, the state of exception says this, things now are different than they were in the past. There is a crisis. Therefore, in this state of exception, we can do things differently and we must do things differently. So it's like the state of emergency, a state of emergency is a state of exception. So yeah. that, that really was his focus. But he also, uh, during over the past couple of years, he's focused a lot on the religious uh, aspect of scientism, uh, the, the, the religious aspect of, of the, the medical field, how, how medicine, those who are involved in medicine have become like the high priests of the religion of scientism. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's there's this worldview battle that's going on, or there's battle for supremacy between what he he says between three religions, uh, the religion of scientism, the religion of capitalism, and the re- religion of Christianity. So he's speaking of the West and the Western world, and it's interesting how he says that. And, and this is this is uh, something that we need to consider as well that that cap the religion of capitalism and the religion of Christianity have managed to coexist over you know the yeah. past uh, yeah. the past centuries and so we as christians need to think about that and examine ourselves uh in terms of our our you know connection with the religion of capitalism mm-hmm. so that's something to consider uh important to consider uh but what he says is that now the religion of ca- of scientism has taken over and is now uh, attacking the, the the religion of capitalism, which has uh, in large part acquiesced to the religion of scientism and the religion of Christianity. And he's of course speaking from a, a Roman Catholic viewpoint, and he talks about the Roman Catholic Church and how the the uh, the Pope and the the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church have knuckled under to the religion of scientism uh, in speaking in about the Italian perspective. But it's happened all over the world. Yeah, but understanding that the religious starting points of all of these things is so important for us hmm. yeah. so that we have that so that we, we we see the antithesis the division of the world you know as god uh has instituted it after the fall into sin 
the division of the world of the sons of God and those who are serving the evil one, right? That the world has been divided in that way. And so, so every aspect, every issue is uh, an issue of faith, an issue of religion. And, and an, uh, there, there is a constant playing out of the antithesis. Mm. Yep. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think we need to regain our, the depth of our understanding on that. Because, and, and this is one of the things I mentioned earlier that, you know, I've been thankful for the things that have happened over the past couple of years and that God has given us a wake up call. Now, this is one of the things where I, where I see that, you know, he's woken me up to, mm. and that is the reality of the antithesis mm. where yeah. we've been very comfortable in this world. You know, we're like the frog in the pot. Yeah. Uh, mm. You know, the water, the water's heating up. And we're doing the backstroke. We're thinking, wow, it's nice and warm here on the beach. Uh, and then the water starts to boil. And the next thing you know, you're dead, right? Yeah. But well, the water's starting to boil now. And so it's given us the opportunity to jump out. Yeah. You got to balance that too, though. Because eh? that is true. There is the antithesis there. But then also, we still live in this time of, of radicalization and tribalism. And you know, people just they can't even talk to your neighbor about like basic things, you know, including yep. politics. But yeah. so. Yeah, we just got to be careful how we balance that, especially on platforms that are are built to uh, generate anger, generate, uh, yeah, whatever. Anger is the best generator of discussion, and discussion leads to time on platform, and time on platform leads to money. So that's mm -hmm. how the social media companies design yeah. things. Yep. Well, and that and that's you know that's really it's the it's the polarization, yeah, uh, the polarization of of viewpoints, uh, which which is really what, you know, to go back to Saul Alinsky, that's his, you know, his 13th rule for radicals uh, talks about how the viewpoints, you must, you must uh, uh, personify your enemy uh, and you must uh, polarize the debate and, uh, and you need to freeze your enemy where, where he's at. And so that polarization is something that's been encouraged, that's been pushed and uh, it's it's what we're living with. So you, you can't have a discussion about anything anymore. Mm -hmm. How do we how do we uh, navigate those waters as Christians? I suppose both in the community sense and getting involved in our institutions and political parties, but I think more importantly, even in the church. I mean, we've certainly seen a great divide. Uh, I mean, more so. It depends on where you are, but definitely even in our federation too, on this issue mm -hmm. of how to respond to the pandemic. And you have some churches that are you know pretty much living freely and not not doing any anything really in the way of restrictions and then other churches you know it's heavily encouraged to be vaxxed and you better have a mask on otherwise they tell you to worship online like how do we yeah. have a conversation with people and i mean that's kind of what we're trying to do here mm -hmm. but it's it's difficult even just to get people on who um yeah who are from the, the quote-unquote other side i don't really like yeah. that phrasing but yeah how do we sort no, through i get the you i get you yeah yeah no i understand that how do you how do you sort through that and how do you work through that well we we live in a, a very in a, in a way a very non confrontational culture. Yeah. The Canadian culture is is just so averse to confrontation or disagreement mm. that uh, yeah that it becomes hard to have an argument with anyone. Like even the word argument becomes a dirty word. Yeah, mm. yeah. So 
So you can't have a debate. You can't have an argument. I don't, I mean, I don't even know if there's such a thing as debating clubs anymore. Right. They used to, you know, used to have a debating clubs in schools. Oh, I was in school. <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, debate is, uh, is out of the picture. Argument mm-hmm. is definitely out of the picture. If you disagree with somebody, you hate them. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, you disagree with me. Well, you must hate me then. Well, no, yeah. I don't. Uh, it's probably the fact that I'm actually concerned about you, which is why I'm why I'm disagreeing with you and why I want you to change your mind. So I think uh, to a certain extent, uh, we as Christians, we need to develop thicker skins hmm. and we need to be able to disagree with each other. And we need to be able to uh, not be offended when somebody disagrees with us. Hmm. And if somebody's expressing disagreement with me, uh, it's not because necessarily, maybe, maybe, maybe they do, but it's not necessarily because they hate me, but it's simply because they have a different idea than I do or a different understanding than I do. Uh, so I think, you know, among us as Christians, we need to have that start with that understanding, uh, not to be argumentative for the sake of arguing, not to be the kind of person who says, I'm always right. And, and you're, you're wrong. And I'm not going to talk to you. And I think you're a fool. No, we need to we need to speak the truth in love, mm-hmm. and and obviously, I mean that's you know it's it's almost it's obviously biblical, but it's also become kind of a cliche. So, but the question is, how do you do it, yeah, right? Yeah. How do you speak? How do you speak the truth in love? Well, I think the with love part has been emphasized and overemphasized, and the speak the truth part has been underemphasized. Mm. So it almost becomes as if you can't speak the truth if you're going to love someone, but you have to speak the truth in love, and then. Count on the Lord and trust in the Lord to work out the results of that discussion. Yeah. I, th- I think we, we, we so often, we, we work from a, a, a starting point or a viewpoint of fear where we're afraid of, of offending people. We're afraid of pushing people away. We're afraid of, um, yeah, destroying unity. But, it, but it is unity based in not offending each other? Because if it's based in not offending each other, then it's a pretty weak and fragile and shallow unity that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it? So, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we are, we're, we're in a difficult situation, obviously as churches, but it's something that we need to work through. And it's something that we need to talk about openly and honestly. And it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a missionary, so I'm not pastoring a congregation. Which makes which makes a, a big difference for me because I'm not working directly here with uh, I mean I, I'm under a council a consistory, but I'm not participating in consistory meetings and working in the in the day to day operations of the church. So so that that puts me in a bit of a different position. It makes it, it probably makes it easier for me, yeah, to to mm-hmm. say something and to to speak about these things. It's more difficult for the guys who are are in those positions. But I think that we do need to come to conclusions about these issues because they're important issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Lord willing, when all of this is said and done and the, uh, you know, the, the lockdowns and the mandates and everything else are a distant memory. uh, And I'm hoping that's going to happen. I see some, I see, I see some skepticism there and I'm probably with you on that because I don't think it's, I don't think we're going to be done with this for a long time yet, but who knows? Um, You know, this, this comes to an end. How do we as church go forward 
And I think that's an important question that we need to think about and how we need to address these issues. Because the easiest thing that's going to, that, 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 uh, that is to be done is to just push it off to the side. Yeah. Just forget and that. Not deal, and not deal with it. No, I know. Right? It's done. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have this strife anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the, yeah. That's been the approach well, of the approach. And I can't say it's been, uh, you know, it's been a, a hard approach to maybe take, but maybe the best approach is just to not deal with it in terms of, a, of, of immediate unity in, in a church. But then, yeah, like you said, like, how do we get to a point where, you know, we're not just yeah. going to forget about it. We're going to, yeah. we're going to remember this, you know, if we took a stand or, you know, we're going to take a stand. And <laughs> yeah, well, ex- exactly. And I think, you know what, when, when we, because some of some of us understand some issues as being far more important than other people do, like mm-hmm. like the mask issue. Sure. Like I, th- I I personally think the mask issue issue is a very important issue, whereas other people, you know, shrug it off or say it's not. You know, it's not a big deal. Right. Um, obviously, because I hold to this opinion, I believe I'm right. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't <laughs> hold to this opinion. Right. Uh, that's that's the case for all of us, and I believe that the other side is wrong. Uh, and what I would like to do is convince the other side of the importance of this issue to understand that, um, what they would like to do is to convince me of the, (laughs) the non-importance of this issue. Uh, so, you know, let there be a discussion, let there be a debate, let there be an open communication about these things as we come to conclusions about, about, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the correct position? I think really, that's really the most important thing because that that glorifies God. (laughs) That glorifies God. The truth glorifies God. Yeah. You know, unity glorifies God. Yes. But unity in the truth, yeah. not l- unity in the, in the lowest common denominator. We've always said that as reformed churches, we've always said that, mm-hmm. that our unity. And that's why we talk about the three forms of unity, right? This is the basis for our unity. Um, and so we don't, we don't say there's unity where there is no unity. Yeah. And so uh, we need to seek that unity. Uh, but, you know, it's the, the truth is above all as the measuring stick for that unity. Yeah. And the, the in love part strikes me as speak the truth, but make your argument as winsome as you can to the party yeah, you're yeah. speaking to. Don't, don't be, you know, don't be rude. Don't be yeah. obnoxious. Don't call people names. Yeah. Uh, treat people with respect. Uh, don't treat them like fools. And uh, yeah, you know, deal with them as you would have them deal with you. Mm. And yeah, the, the, remember the Bible's definition of love is not the world's definition of love. No, mm-hmm. it's you care about them and you want them to know the truth. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, so that sometimes the truth may be hard sometimes. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes my wife has to tell me things that don't necessarily make me happy. <laughs> right yeah. and sometimes i have to do the same and it's not easy and but it's necessary but and and it's uh uh yeah it's an outworking of love in a married couple and it's got to be the outworking of love in the church as well mm-hmm. for sure wow well we're like out of time i wanted to ask you i wanted to ask about the convoy yet but what what you thought about the convoy oh, you said you said things aren't going to necessarily change very soon but uh what do you yeah, you know what I, your takes I, on yeah, i'm I, th- th- this convoy thing it's pretty cool yeah. No, it's really uh, cool. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I've been, I, I, uh, sadly, I, I, uh, I missed it as it went, went past this. Uh, wow. It was like it was Sunday for Sunday you. Morning. No? It was Sunday morning. Yeah. Which is like um, way too early. But yeah. And it was early on Sunday morning. 
Uh, and I actually thought it was my, my somebody told me that it was it was going to be next week. Oh, uh, <laughs> next week. Then I said, oh, we've, OK, we've fake. had a lot of warning in Ontario. So fake news there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Misinformation. So it's uh, I think it's pretty amazing. Mm. I think it's to, to see one of the one of the great things is that we see that uh, those who are concerned about government overreach, those who are concerned about growing medical tyranny in our country are standing up and they're coming out and they're doing so in a peaceful way in a, in actually in a joyful way. Mm-hmm. But from what, from what I've seen uh, people are, are waving flags and gathering and, 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 you know, seeing the videos, it's awfully cold in the rest of Canada. Oh, oh yeah. We were, out, we were out today, man. It's we were on an overpass today. But yeah, just the just the like the community on the overpass we were on today. Just just we were out there. I had my kids out there just to watch, you know, see yeah. a bunch of trucks honking. Like that's just just good fun. But yeah, you're immediately greeted by people who want to see you, and everyone exactly. wanted to talk to you and know who you were and know your story. We talked. We met all sorts of people, and you know, people are handing out Timbits and candy canes and. They want to, yeah. you know, hold your sign for you and wave a flag with you. Like it was something like I have, I haven't experienced in a, in a long time, like yeah. maybe back to some Canada day, you know, five, 10 years ago, <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's, uh, no, it's pretty uh, amazing. It, it, it is, it is, uh, for me, it's, for me, it's been very, very neat to see it mm-hmm. and to see how it's just grown and grown. It's hard and it's really hard to picture, you know, how big it actually is and how big it's going to be. It's going to yeah. be neat to see what, ha- what happens in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah uh, and this is Thursday for everyone to listen. This is drop on Monday, but this is uh, Thursday night, so it hasn't reached oh yeah. Ottawa so, yet. So Friday, so Saturday you, yet? You'll have uh, you'll have seen then what uh, yeah, what right. has taken place. So it's uh, you know it's it's I think it takes a lot because I've I've participated in various uh, um, rallies and things like that here locally in Vancouver, uh, and also locally with uh, with the local organization here in Abbotsford. Um, and, and I, it is, you know what it's for me, it's been, a, it's been a good opportunity, also a good opportunity for outreach for witnessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've gotten contacts for, with people because of it and they've been asking me questions and, uh, yeah, the opportunity to contribute, get to know people in your community. So it's a, it's also, a uh, yeah. I mean, I think as Christians, uh, for us to be involved in things like this and standing up for freedom. Uh, we should be all about that. Definitely. So. And there's, there's so many, so many people who are looking for, uh, looking for meaning and looking for understanding that we can be there for them yeah. to, yeah. to help them with that. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic opportunity. Yeah. So let's yeah. hope they can affect yeah, some absolutely. change. God keep our land glorious and free. That's a, yes, yeah. abs- absolutely. And that's, you know what we need to pray to mm-hmm. uh, always first and foremost, that's really that, you know, that's our number one. That's our number one weapon, mm-hmm. uh, and so we need to pray. And I think to pray for this, uh, the 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 convoy, and for the uh, the rally that's going to happen, the meeting that's going to happen, or whatever it's called in in uh, in Ottawa, and for a peaceful uh, a peaceful rally. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things that I'm I'm concerned about is what's going to happen when uh, yeah when everybody yeah. gets together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I don't, I don't believe that the people that are involved in the rally in the, in the convoy are going to be in any way violent or that they have any plans, but things can happen. A few bad apples right? in every barrel. So let's hope it stays peaceful. Yeah, well, and people from the outside as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, 
you know, so I think people, uh, people that, that are there need to be, uh, be awake to that as well. Yeah. Because we saw what happened on January 6th last year. Yeah. In, let's uh, try to avoid that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. But I wish them all the best. And I'm really thankful that they're, they're standing up for our freedoms Yeah. because as of, as of right now, like I can't travel, I can't travel on a plane. I can't travel on a plane within Canada. I can't leave Canada. Nope. I can't, I can't even go on a bus. I can't go to the local rec center. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. I know. So, so let's hope it's uh makes changes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, exactly. We should exactly. wrap this puppy up. We're getting pretty long here. So thanks for coming on. <laughs> really appreciate yeah, it. It was good. fascinating and well, wonderful. Well, it was good. It was nice. It was nice to, uh, nice to be able to talk to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now I've got now I've got a lot of podcasts to watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we encourage our listeners go listen to uh, the you know what is it Dan eleven thirty two yeah podcast um, wherever Excellent. podcasts are found just like us so yeah um, okay give it a goog you'll find yeah. it that's it all right very good very good thank all you right. so much would have been well thanks for having me appreciate it till next time God bless your God bless your work too guys thank thanks you. very much all right we'll keep having right. a talk take Catch care later. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfleur, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.